Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 211th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's been preparing you to make money from your couch since day one. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is the ghost of Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering in the Plague Times. Yeah, well, it has been a wild week, I'm sure, for all of our listeners. Uh, I'm... I'm can only imagine how dire it has gotten for most local game stores. I would imagine they're looking at, without any sort of rent relief, probably getting shuttered within three or four weeks. Depending on how well financed they are to begin with and how much alternate traffic they have. If you have a robust business model, you're on a you're in a strong. Uh, if you have been present in a community for a long time. And you have a bunch of different angles of attack, including strong online sales. You're going to be in a lot better position than, say, random Midwest store in a town of twenty thousand that normally only scrapes together eight for an F and M. You know, two weeks out of four, and now you're being faced with people being told to stay home. Yeah, and I think the latter is far more common than the former. Oh, for, sure. for every Max boarding house, there's six or seven other stores that are. Yeah, I, lucky to keep the lights. I mean, on. I talked to Face to Face Games Toronto uh, yesterday, and they said they had one of their busiest weekends ever. People coming in, buying up mystery boosters, and then a lot of people buying board games because they knew they were going to be home for a while. But they hmm. also have announced that their events are all shut down, as many uh, major event uh, organizers have done this week. Um, our sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc., has also announced that play spaces are all shut down at all of their stores in Florida. And all of their major tournaments are shut down. Um, a lot of the stores are still running uh, sale, like buy list and uh, retail sales programs, but with heightened uh, internal, cl- you know, cleaning policies and so forth to try to make sure that virus spread doesn't become a problem on on cards, packages, etc. Hmm. It's quite an impact. Um, I obviously we don't. I don't know where it's going to go, but man, I've watched people go from thinking it was a joke to storming out of the office because they don't think their company's doing enough to protect them in the span of like five days. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying not even bothering to watch my stock portfolio crash because that's the usual thing. Every, you know, five to 10 years, you're going to go through a, a major down cycle. Much more concerned about the people out there that are we're living paycheck to paycheck at, you know, whatever, local waiters and waitresses, massage therapists, anybody who's self-employed and doesn't have a backup plan um, Mm -hmm. are just completely out of luck. And I have a feeling that federal programs, I mean, they're going to vary country to country, but I suspect that most of them are going to leave a lot of those people by the wayside, even if there is relief sent out. I mean, in the U.S. today, they were talking about sending out $1,000 checks to every citizen or something. Yeah, it's there's a couple programs floating around. They've got the one bill passed that would provide some sort of relief. And I think the House bill maybe is one is tax credits. I know tax credits are getting tossed around, which is garbage because tax credits doesn't pay your more your you know your rent today. Um, and you know, but it also like exempts 
businesses under 50 employees and over 500. And if like you're self-employed, you can't claim. So something like well over 80% of the working population wouldn't be covered by the bill. It's I, we, we don't want to get too far into politics because I will just eat this whole cast up. Uh, but yeah, it's they're talking about re- pretty bad for a lot they're of talking people. about rent forgiveness up here, which would be a nice step. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, that money's got to come from somewhere. The, the, if, if the major corporations that say own my building, um, take a hit, then, you know, that's just going to come out of, uh, it always lands in the consumer's lap is the point I'm going to, I'm going to make is that <laughs> there's, there's almost no way to take money from corporations that doesn't end up hurting everybody else. Yeah. I would love for them to force a relief program of some sort you know, rent and mortgage relief, like, okay, for three months, nobody has to pay their rent or their mortgage. Um, and uh, that's what we need. I don't, I don't know how you do that, that it doesn't end up screwing us anyways. Yeah, because the, but, the end result of something like that would be that mortgage rates would go up instantly by a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, because they, the bank will just, any place that is using statistics to drive their economic models is just going to adjust to whatever new policy is laid on their lap. And they will download all of those costs. So things could get very bad here. I think probably, you know, in the grand scheme of things, MTG Finance is pretty trivial right now. And we're still going to do the show. People are still home bored. (laughs) But uh, I'd say that the the best investment you could possibly make, especially if you're in the have camp as opposed to the have not camp, and you feel like you could do more or give more, you know, donate to uh, high efficiency charities. Uh, I've had good experiences working with Mennonite charities in the past. Um, but everybody will have their, their favorite if they do a little research and, you know, just helping in the magic community. If somebody needs to, you know, borrow a board game or, you know, they, they need a little financial, a little loan, you know, some guy you play cards with regularly is having trouble with his rent and you can afford to send the guy, you know, half his rent check for the month or whatever. These are tough decisions and everybody's gonna, you know, have their own resource limitations, but certainly a good time to demonstrate your value as a upstanding community member that's willing to help. Yeah. I, I think that that's a, a great move. If you can do it, I, I respect most of the people listening to us probably are not in that position. If you're doing, you know, magic card flipping, you're not doing it because you're extraordinarily wealthy to begin with. So, you know, you're doing it to cover your car bill or whatever. Uh, so I respect that that's not probably not an option for most people, but yes, if you, if you can, that would be great. But, uh, uh I know supporting uh, well, some of the big claims on are, are, you know, things people have been talking about on Twitter is supporting artists, you know, buying things from them. If you have the ability, um, and just trying to find ways to give money to those people who, you know, are going to be most impacted. It's a good time to like book a custom commander altar or something, uh, with someone that you've been waiting to pull the trigger on. Good time to be, you know, contact your LGS LGS owner if you have a relationship and say, hey, here's a package of cards and what I'd be willing to pay on them. Uh, They might give you a a decent discount just to get some cash in the door. You could also just prepay for future F&Ms or something, ask for a discount. Uh, I would imagine a lot of these store owners will be in a mood to negotiate just to get a little cash flow up front. And if you can afford it, it's not really going to hurt you. You'll get that value back down the road. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. maybe when mm-hmm. Secret Layer fetch, fetch Lands comes around, they'll put you on the list. Mm, that, yeah, angle that. I want first dibs on all the stuff that gets sold the rest of the year. Um, yeah, I, my, you know, 
aside from the economic side of it, I everyone's heard this already. And again, I don't think anyone that's listening doesn't know this. And like, but I have to reiterate how important it is for everyone to like not go out to all these events. And it's very common, especially I guess a lot among a lot of the younger, you know, group younger millennials uh, i think are probably the target for this but like you, you gotta just stop going out for a little while i know the bars and like dc and areas in buffalo were packed this past weekend with saint patrick's day and it's like what is wrong with you people and it's so easy to transfer like you know you can be young and not really be worried about what it's going to do to you like if you catch it sure you get kind of sick maybe you feel crummy maybe you feel pretty bad but you're like not that worried about it but like the guy who catches it because he has to go out to the bar this weekend or has to go to the show or wants to draft or whatever brings it to work and you're stuck going into work because you know your company's not doing what they need to do and you're doing your best with washing your hands but you still catch it and maybe you don't even know that you have it and then you give it to like your in-laws who are immunocompromised because they were you know, receiving cancer treatments or something. So it's just so easy to pass that along to people who are doing everything they can to try and be safe. But, you know, one guy, two people down the line can really compromise that. So please um, do your best here, guys. And the thing is that like washing your hands isn't even going to be sufficient because it, yeah. it's the latest research it's a still being, you know, still emerging. But the latest research that I've been reading um, from reputable sources, um, including a friend of mine that's a PhD at University of Toronto, is that this thing has an aerosol lifespan like it can just hover in the air so Ooh. wash your hands all you want but you could just be if you walk into an elevator and somebody coughed in it 10 minutes ago it could still just be hanging out and if you inhale it like that you're and whether you get sick or not again not not really the issue it's the people that are going to be uh, more vulnerable but there's also a bunch of splash damage the the fewer the the, the faster we shut the curve on this thing down the less likely that the medical care system gets overwhelmed and the less likely that people that require constant care from that medical system are going to get left by the wayside. So, for instance, we've got a friend uh, whose kid in Montreal basically needs regular blood transfusions to stay alive, needs a specific kind of blood. Well, if the hospital system that they are, are used to using, which is already pretty taxed, gets completely overwhelmed... You got to wonder when they're going to run out of blood or when they're going to not going to be able to see their usual physician and that kid's going to be in danger. And there's all sorts of other situations that are are going to be put into additional danger zones as a result. So whatever you can do to just stay the hell out of the, the social sphere, the better. Yeah. So all of that is far more important than whatever we're talking about today. So, you know, this is this is all just. You know, to keep your minds off uh, the burning hell world that surrounds us. Um, you know, and on the topic of burning hell worlds, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Energy Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order, support this podcast, and support our great sponsor in this time of 
economic need. What is on our agenda this week as we um, stumble forth? Yeah, segment point five, uh, stoking fears about a global pandemic. Segment one, <laughs> our top movers, where we'll look at the very few cards that have moved in price this week, probably related to that. Segment two, our cards to watch cards we think have a pretty good outlook. Segment three, our metagame we can review. There's some pioneer and modern preliminaries. You know, I thought about putting the modern preliminary on there and I didn't because I'm like, eh, I don't know if I care, but I bet James puts it on. Uh, and then finally, segment four, the Talarian Academy. Uh, oh, shoot. I knew his name and now I forgot it. Brian put Kenobi. out Kenobi. Yeah, it goes back. Is that the other guy? Yeah, the other guy. Oh, uh, put out the, no, no, but isn't the name of the of prof Tolarian Academy guy? Yeah. Isn't he Brian? That sounds right. I think so. I'm going to call him Brian. Uh, don't correct me. <laughs> it's, uh, he put out a video yesterday called the rising costs of magic. And believe it or not, we have a couple thoughts on that, No, but way. we will get started here. Yeah. We will get started here. Segment one, our top movers, Protean Hulk out of Ma- magic 25, uh, picked up. From five to seven, so not a not a large gain, about forty percent, but some movement here. Um, why? Uh, what do you think we're calling attention to this for this week, James? Uh, I don't think it showed up in the list of cards that Wizards was hinting seemed to be in the green commander set this summer. They had a tweet out. I'm pretty sure it didn't include Protean Hulk, um, and it's a major card with Flash and CEDH, right? Hmm. And Flash got unbanned Probably. a while back. It did. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. It did get unbanned. Yeah. Oh, they were complaining about that in the um, the Rising Cost of Magic video as well. And, and the professor's full name is Brian Lewis, for the record. It is Brian. Okay, I was right. Although I don't recognize him with his new short hair. <laughs> um. Well, you know what? I'm feeling better about those protein hulks that I bought uh, when it was unbanned. A while ago and was not able to chew through that whole inventory so it'd be great if these caught back up yeah i mean i don't to where I, they I don't were think before a they major, got reprinted a major pressure swing here but this is this is going to go mostly appeals to the people that are either you know competitive edh players or play in very competitive casual play groups um because this kind this the combination of cards can just win on turn one or two so <laughs> i don't know how fun it is to shuffle when you've been playing for two minutes, but you know, to each their own. Yeah, I uh, playing Flash Protein Hulk is makes you a monster. Uh, but nah, okay, to each their own, I guess. All right. So, so I think the the most notable price mover this week is actually a booster box. Mystery booster boxes were available as low as eighty five or ninety dollars on, on pre order and. People seem to think that they were going to crash pretty hard because the initial word was that the print run was quite large, about the size of a Modern Masters set. Um, you know, something like a Modern Masters 2015 was was what I heard from a couple of different vendors. Um, and the assumption was that these were going to be opened so widely that the EV on them would crash as the pressure from openings pushed singles prices down to the floor. And as it turns out, at least the initial wave of distribution, big, but also very popular. So a lot of the the singles inventory for key cards got chewed up pretty quick 
and and prices reversed course on TCG Play over the weekend. We're only really talking about the top five or ten cards, things like uh, Mana uh, Mana Crypt and uh, Viscera Seer, Seer Foils were under a lot of uh, purchasing pressure uh, last week. And there's you know Ristic Studies, Teferi's Protection, that kind of thing um, that I think is going to rebound pretty well within a year. But I suspect what's going to happen here is that the Mystery Booster boxes are going to perform a lot like War of the Spark Japanese boxes. They're going to be, there's going to be some scarcity in the near term. And then the question becomes whether Wizards will go back to the press and put them back out somewhere mid-summer, early fall. Doesn't really seem like there's a slot for it, but it didn't stop them with War of the Spark Japanese boxes, so could easily happen. I would imagine that wave will be relatively small. And if it shows back up and retailers price it at the original pricing, as opposed to current pricing, boxes are going about anywhere from 140 to 160 last couple days, um, then they're probably a buy again. I, I presume at some point these are a good a good time to get in on. Uh, I'm, I'm unclear on the full distribution model. Are we... Like, can you walk into a store and buy these right now? Yes. They came out March 13th, so last Friday. Okay, yeah. So they are very recent, So they're, but they're selling for the 150 I um Basically, everybody seems to have sold out of their allocations. So a lot of major retailers seem to be just sold out completely. Europe did have a lot, but interested parties have been working with European partners, including us, to buy up tons of signals. So we did a something like a $26,000 USD group buy on Mystery Booster singles at very, very attractive prices. So like we had in one wave with one vendor, we were getting mana crypts for 110. And then two days later, we were getting offers at $70 with 5% off if we, if the group buy went over 10 grand. So there are a lot of that European inventory seems to be chewed up. And when we went back to the well asking, hey, can we get even more? Because we had, you know, our membership is large enough that we had some additional pent up demand. Um, they, we were told we're not really sure, like with virus issues, like some boxes are stuck at border crossings, not really getting anywhere. Mm. And overall, it just is not clear whether distributors are going to be able to get many more boxes in, in relevant hands. Certainly not enough to overwhelm the existing demand. Now, that was all before this whole virus thing kicked into high gear in the West. So, you know, as that starts to play out and goes exponential, every, they say that everybody that gets sick with this virus infects two other people. That's the curve we're trying to flatten. So if that's true, then, you know, things could be so bad in a month, a month from now that nobody's going to be thinking about mystery boosters at all. Um and any of the sets that are caught up in that long term, hopefully, whenever the world stabilizes and everything's good again, are probably going to end up like uh, the Lorwyn block. Lorwyn block is the last time I can remember when magic took a pretty big dip. Like even in the recession in 2008, magic did fine. Um, in fact, accelerated out of that um, very strongly. But. Lauren Block is the last real big lull where magic felt like it was hurting. And that's and those cards have been super rare ever since. Mm-hmm. Um I So between I, Mystery Boosters I and Ikoria, um 
you know, there could be a lot of unopened product. I do wonder what this greater event is going to do with magic availability. And if we're going to end up with, you know, sort of a lost set where, you know, like Ikoria is going to come out, there's going to be no, no one's going to be able to go to a store to buy it. They're going to have nowhere to play it. You're going to have no reason to own the cards. Like, why am I going to buy standard cards and standard box if my store's closed? And then, you know, we'll get three or six months out from that. And those cards have become much more popular because people need them now. They just didn't need them then. The safest play on mystery boosters to cap that off is we've been telling members just to flip boxes, like don't hold getting greedy. Don't bet on whether or not these are going to be 200 by Christmas because you're betting against a reprint that will be all too tempting for wizards. If marketing economic conditions provide for that. And even if that never happens, even if this version of the the Mystery Booster LGS product does not see a reprint within 2020, assuming the world stabilizes, 2021, I see zero reason to believe that they're not going to continue this program. And I could see Mystery Booster as a product turning into the treasure chest of magic, where it is continuously assaulting the price of singles via a broad-based reprint, but with a more shallow imprint on their pricing than it would otherwise be the case because of the size of the set. But I have a feeling that because of the size of the set, they won't be motivated to switch out the cards 100%. Like, I don't think that Mystery Boosters 2021 are going to be 100% different from this year's version. I would imagine they might switch out some percentage of those cards. Maybe they do something like keep Mana Crypt in there because it's such a draw and it can afford to get hit a few more times. So I don't really want to be waiting around to find out what's going to happen when I've got $85 boxes I can sell for $135, get a clean exit that's still well below market price for most people and move, and go, and move to a cash position in an era this year when cash is going to be king. I mean, the first, today was the first time ever I sent a buy list to Card Kingdom and went to cash instead of credit. Really? Yeah. Not because I need the cash immediately, but it just seems smart to be going to cash. I already have a decent amount of credit left over there anyway. And I'm starting to think about things like when is the stock market going to hit a low? Is that two months from now, six months from now, a year from now? Hard to pick a bottom, but I would love to be cash rich when it comes, because in 2008, if you were buying the market and just riding it out for a decade, you were doing very well indeed. But yeah, did you see that Hasbro stock is uh, half of what it was like three months ago or something like that? Yeah, my and Ellie, my partner, was you know calling out stock names to me the other day because that's her new ha- hobby is tracking stocks and saying, hey, buy this, buy this, is all down. And I'm like, nah, no, 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 no. You don't do it like that. <laughs> Just because it's down from what it was yesterday doesn't mean anything. You want to look at the, the broader trend. Are, are we at the, so, the darkest moment here? No. <laughs> so, the smart, uh, so the smartest play is to accumulate cash and wait until you are approximating darkness. Uh, I agree with you that we are not at the dip yet. Um, but do you, but, you know, with Hasbro stock being specifically... Granted, I don't pay a lot of attention. I don't pay attention to the stock market like you do, but I was kind of wondering about it. Once we hit the bottom, whether it's in a week or a month or what have you, you know, Hasbro stock at half off seems pretty solid to me, right? Because we have to assume given, you know, we know the growth was good before. 
we know that they did well coming out of the recession in the past. We know that this will be a temporary should be a temporary lull. Seems like there's uh you know there's some real opportunity there. I think the safest advice, especially for people that don't dabble in the in the market much, is just to buy the market. You just buy an index fund that approximates the market somewhere near the bottom and don't worry about trying to pick individual stocks and you will do very well indeed like they've shown repeatedly over and over and over again even the highest paid fund managers underperform the market as a group yeah and the ones and the ones that win awards every year for doing amazing are as much lucky as they are smart so and, and that applies to to some degree to people like us doing what we're doing here as well like the the general trend line for cards they don't reprint will be up if you identify those cards broadly and you know if you take the the accumulation of all the cards we talk about every week for weeks on end you're you're mostly just talking about cards that have not been reprinted that are high demand that are of high rarity I mean that that is what MTG Finance often boils down to. Doesn't mean you, that you don't need to do the research to figure out the specifics, but the the safest safest bet, generally speaking, is to focus on uh, in the markets on the market itself. If if you're not going to get too deep on the details, and in Magic Finance, just focus on the staples, and you're approximating the same thing. Well, sure, and I know that you know I've heard the whole you know the experts in the stock market don't beat just buying buying the market as you said um, I'll you this nor, do, I, I, nor I, do i th- go ahead hmm? i was saying nor nor do i think that i'm going to beat it that i have a system i just kind of like well i know i don't know a lot but i know magic i know hasbro i know that they've been they've been doing well for years i know that they will continue to do well after this all we get out of this and people are eager to get out and be social again. So that one in particular, I guess, and it's, I'm sure it's not the only well-positioned stock and it might not be the best position stock, but it seems generally good. I have a blacklist on companies I won't invest in. So I don't invest in vice companies, but cigarette and alcohol companies tend to do well in, in recessions and depressions because their impulse purchases, relatively low price tags and people try to drink away their sorrows. The um, companies like Dollar General, dollar stores will do very well if things get very bad because people have to shop there. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the cheapest place on the street, so that's where the money's going to go. You've got uh, Amazon was announcing that they're they're only going to be they're stopping most of their shipments. Yeah, so that that. so so that localized retail at low price points is going to do better and better. Um, But anyway, it's more getting into the weeds than we need to. Suffice to say that. Uh, mystery booster boxes, flip them now, get out while you can, get into a cash position. You might need that cash soon. And if you don't need it, maybe you can help somebody with it. Um, and if you choose to hold it, then you, opportunities will abound over the course of this year. So plenty of places to put your money in the next three to six months. Yeah, I can't imagine you're going to have trouble figuring out where to spend money. Yeah. So finishing up this list, Chrome Shell, Crab, Foils at Elysian, 6 to $12. It's a Morph EDH card, very low supply. It's been reprinted, but never in foil. Um, so this is just trailing uh, demand from the Morph uh, interest earlier last year. Ugin's Nexus at a con- Cons of Tarkir. This is the artifact that gives extra turns in very specific circumstances, uh, specifically if you're sacking it to... Uh, get it off the board and be free to take those turns. So foils go from like two fifty to fifteen dollars. 
Um, I flagged this card last week as being very amusing uh, on Twitter because it's such a niche card and the kind of thing that is sitting around in bulk all over the place. And <clears throat> Medina pointed out, hey, I don't see a spike. Well, here we are. The I think the regular copies are have doubled up or tripled up uh, from like a dollar to three dollars, and the foils are up to fifteen. So people are out there buying the deck. Uh, Indomitable creativity. We've talked about a couple times recently. Foils from two fifty to twenty here. This is on the back of the uh, polymorph Indomitable creativity style deck that aims to get big nasties into play in modern. Uh, you know, I actually, this happened in between last week and this week, but I actually grabbed a couple of Ugas Nexus. Um, I think that that's probably better than we think it is or than it might seem at first blush. That comes from the strategy of, uh, it's a Fires of Invention deck that uses Karn, the great creator. So obviously the old combo used to be that you would Karn Slam Karn, get Mycosynth Lattice, play Mycosynth Lattice, lock your opponents out. Well, this new combo is play Karn, go get Ugin's Nexus, um, which when it goes to a graveyard, you take an extra turn and then you exile it. But Karn gets artifacts from outside the game. So you can you can't take infinite turns because you have to eat Ugin's Nexus every turn in order to get the, you know, to get the extra turn, whereas Karn doesn't have a plus on um, loyalty. So you can fetch Ugin's Nexus twice before you eat him, but that's probably enough. You know, if you can take several extra turns, that's probably enough to win the game, especially if you have a Vraska out ticking up at the same time. But this seems like it might be Pioneer's Karn combo. Like, oh, I can just put Karn in the deck and then go fetch Ugin's Nexus and start triggering an infinite turn loop. Uh, well, or a lot of turn loop. And this iteration that we're seeing right now is playing three Ugin's Nexus in the main and one in the sideboard. And I actually wonder if you even need the ones in the main and if strategies in the future going forward will even bother with it. Um, this is a Fires deck, so they're trying to also be able to just play Ugin's Nexus, but you could theoretically just play the one nexus in the sideboard because once you have the one, that's good enough. The other thing that you're trying to do is keep up with um, Karns. Karns are where you get throttled. So like a lot of different strategies could shove Karns in and then go, oh, I land a Karn. Now I minus him, cast Ugin's nexus, sacrifice the nexus to whatever trick they have and start the loop, um, which is, again, not as good and probably not as good as Michael Synthlatus but still very good. So this is a very long-winded way of me saying I think that the combo is probably better than it seems at first glance. The real problem is that you have to have a sacrifice outlet for Nexus, which is a little trickier for sure, but I don't know if that's the death knell of the combo. So in, in any case, I don't think this is a bad, a bad card or a bad spec, and this might be pretty relevant in modern. I, I think er, foils pioneer, were great pioneer. before this kicked off. I wouldn't want to be super sure. deep on them, but getting out of a handful of them seems very feasible right now. Um, thanks for the correction that this is a Pioneer deck, not a modern deck. Um, and before I would I would want to jump in on even the $3 copies of Nexus, I just want to see this put up some more results. I think this is still mostly a fringe deck, but show, show me this deck get to a top eight in a major event, and I would feel differently. 
Problem is, there are no major events <laughs> forthcoming. Right. So one of the reasons you're going to see a lot less price spikes on a week-to-week basis on this show for the next while is going to be no. Ma- basically, we're going to be referencing Magic Online uh, results and nothing but because no events are going to be running. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I agree with you that at the moment it's just a funny, cool deck. But I mean, part of the reason this came to the attention of the greater magic community was Jerry T tweeting about it and saying Pioneer has been busted. And with Jerry T is looking at deck and going, hey, this looks like it's absolutely busted. I, uh, I, I took that as tongue in cheek busted, but sure. I, I I didn't. I thought he was being sincere and possibly not like, well, the format's ruined until they ban this busted, but still like, oh, this is a legitimate combo. Um. We will see. So I agree. I'm not advocating our listeners buy in on Nexus at the moment. You're right. The time was several days ago before it kind of went off. And we will probably have to wait longer to see what happens here because there's going to be so many, so many fewer events. Um, well, but it is worth being aware that it's out there. Here's the funny thing is that if everybody's playing on Magic Online and paper events aren't firing for months, there's going to be this really weird rubber band effect where something like Nexus could go to... 20 or 30 tickets on magic online especially if it's not in treasure chest um which I, I have no idea if it is or not but uh as a random example whereas the paper copy might stay down in the three to five dollar range because people even if they're playing it online they don't feel any impetus to buy the paper copies because they have nowhere to play them so you know in this period of plague and sequestering at home i would think that most of the cards you should be looking at are commander staples that haven't seen a recent reprint in the mystery boosters, etc., because the most likely format to get played at kitchen tables is going to be commander. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, there's, and there's a pretty good you, crossover you would... between commander and kitchen table magic anyways. Yeah. And whereas, you know, most of the cards that are on my list this week are very conditional long-term picks on the assumption that magic rebounds within a year. Um, not really comfortable picking out you know a standard staple to gain a few bucks in the next month or two because I don't see the you know pressure being put on the card. Speaking of which, let's move on into segment two and talk about a, you know some cards I think make sense on that longer term horizon. First pick of the week from me is Ice Fang Kowaddle. I, I actually called out foils as a mop up, which is we have our best uh, ideas channel where our staff try to put up um, tasty tidbits for the members that don't have a lot of time to dig through the hundreds and hundreds of posts in our Discord every week um, for the real diamonds in the rough. And I noticed that the Ice Fang Quaddle foils are getting real low. I've been selling a lot of them lately, around 30. I was in at 12 last summer. And I have a feeling that the 30s are going to turn into 40s and 50s within the year because there's just no copies left lying around. Shows that as much as Modern Horizons was opened... If you have a card that has a strong demand profile in multiple formats, as Quaddle does, it's a big card in Modern. I think it's the number one creature in Modern right now online and the number three creature in Legacy. Um, almost always a four of when it's played at all. So those foils have just been gobbled up and they're basically gone. I think from a personal playset perspective, you want to grab those foils before they're 50. And then that bring, as soon as I see foils disappear on a card, it's time to start looking at the non-foils. And I think a one-year projection for Coatle to get from five to ten is probably about as rock solid as it gets if the world doesn't end. <laughs> well, there's the 
There, I suppose rough. that disclaimer can be put on all of our picks, right? This is a good card to pick so long as civilization hasn't fully collapsed and we're mad maxing it. Yeah, I mean, so far I'm, I'm assuming that the world will figure out what needs to be done within a four to six month period. And uh, four to we'll, six months. A month from now, we may feel differently. Yeah, hopefully and not. We'll just turn this podcast. Uh, we'll just turn this into like Mad Max gear finance. We'll pivot. It's fine. Yeah, this is the the beat up Dodge Charger model you should <laughs> yeah. buy that has the best traction on sandy roads and. I, I'm really liking flamethrower guitars at about like 600 or 20 cans of tuna. Seems like a solid buy heading into the summer months. Gets really hot. Extra fire damage. I don't know that guy. Uh, didn't he get killed in the movie? They all get killed. He was like strapped to the front of that thing when it crashed. Not where I want to yeah. be. It, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was definitely one of the best picks out of Modern Horizons. Um, I remember when the card was spoiled, I was super high on it, and I was super high on it right up until... My, my two picks for the set were essentially this card and Goblin Engineer. Um, now, of course, the fact that we've kind of left Modern a little more in the dust has changed my opinion on it a little bit, but that doesn't mean that the card is a bad spec. People are still buying Modern cards, it seems like, Um yeah, there's still there's still price movement on some of those cards we've seen week over week. It's also obviously, uh, like you said, doing well in Legacy, which again isn't going to draw huge numbers of players, but there's demand there. Uh, so there's there's people buying this card, and I don't know what the reprint risk really could be. I don't know why Wizards would be in a rush to reprint it. I feel like they'd want to save this to sell more copies of the next Modern Horizons. Um, if and when that rolls around, this can be one of the staples they go back to the well on. So it could be a year or two at least before that happens. Yeah, re- in yeah, any case. Definitely. Yeah. And people are buying four of these at a time because they just want to play them. It's a competitive card. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Five bucks for you know low supply, moving to low supply with uh, the, the foils already being out ahead of it. Seems solid. And our foil call was correct, too. It was back on episode 183, August 27th, 19. I called foils to go 16 to 30 in, within six months and put a confidence level of nine. So we got real close to nailing that on the head. Um, hmm. And, you know, one of the things that has me interested in this card and my next one in non-foil is that random rares from Modern Horizons tend to have something between 200 to 300 listings on tcg like supply is really deep it's going to take a long time for those to drain out but coaddle and a couple of others are under 100 and that matters because they're bought up in fours yeah that well i mean and by virtue of having less than essentially half the number of copies or vendors as the other ones it means that there's clearly clearly some real demand there yeah all right what's your first pick of the week well, I went browsing uh, through uh, Pioneer. Can I just say EDH feels like it has been dead for a while. And I mean dead in the sense that normally there's turnover at the top of the most popular commanders. Um, if not every couple weeks, every like two months, three months, especially with new sets drop. And it has been stuck on Throne of Eldraine commanders since, you know, a week before that set came out. And that was what October, right? So like since like October, it has been Corvold and Godo and uh, the fairy chick whose name I don't remember, and it just has not moved. Alela, Alela, 
Marin is still up there, Muldratha, which are old staples. Um, which is surprising that we haven't seen any new commanders in something like five months now, uh, which is kind of stalled out, I think, at least from our perspective, my perspective, the chasing new commander card spec game, which is usually pretty effective. You know, a new set comes out, you look for the commanders that are going to be popular, you get in a couple, you know, a couple days, a couple hours or a couple weeks ahead of the people who also want those. And you can turn your cards like Chrome Shell Crab, where you can go snag a couple copies for a dollar or two, because nobody cared about them when the morph one came out, and then suddenly sell them for 15 or 20 bucks. Like you always have, you get those opportunities and just hasn't moved in EDH lately. So that's typically one of the places I like to go for my picks. And it's really uh, been annoying that there's been no movement, essentially. The, the top cards, the, the hot cards in EDH aren't, aren't changing. So uh, I don't really know. Well, I mean, the hot commanders, maybe. There's been plenty of new cards that have been hot. Well, yes. I, I, I think about it in the sense that top command new commanders drive a lot of interest into cards that previously had none and those are always exciting to go after and we haven't had any popular new commanders so there hasn't been a rush towards cards that were previously pretty quiet and if i go back and look at the top cards for the past month you know i can scroll through let's see 6 12 18 24. I mean, I'm scrolling through the top cards of the last month in EDH, and all of them are well-known staples. There's nothing new here. So new cards pop up, but like nothing has gotten really popular all of a sudden that wasn't already. Um, I guess I, I, I'm a lot of my picks are being driven by Pioneer, I feel like, lately, because that's where you're still seeing a lot of turnover and excitement, whereas EDH has been quiet. And I'm hoping Ikoria will change that. I'm hoping Ikoria brings some good commanders and we get to really shake things up on that side of things. Um, so having said all that, uh, over in Pioneer, the first thing that popped out at me was Jade Light Ranger out of Rivals of Ixalan. You may remember this as a standard staple from when that was legal. It is foils are getting down to pretty low supply. Um, now, there are a couple, there are three foil printings of this card. There's the pack foils, the pre-release cards, and the promo pack. The pre-release and promo packs have very low supplies. We're talking about like, you know, single digit number of vendors and nobody has more than one. The pack foil has about 35 vendors right now. There are nobody with there's two people pack fresh magic has eight copies at nine dollar foils um, and they're the only person that has more essentially more than a play set but you can buy them at three dollars right now jade light ranger foils are available at three dollars so i like these up to probably about eight or nine dollars um the number of copies below eight or nine number of foil copies below eight or nine dollars is probably i don't know 40 50 total across all three printings it is currently the th um 30th most played creature in pioneer so it's pretty popular um the jump from three to six is pretty fast you don't have to get through too many copies before you're up to that price point uh again i'm not sure where you would really see a, a reprint on this it was not in the was not a mystery booster foil i believe right uh so you, there's not there there's no way they're putting this in the edh green foil green thing that they're coming out with later 
Um, so this is pretty much predicated entirely on Pioneer EDH. It's in 1100 decks, so it's irrelevant. But I think that the foils for Pioneer and the Devotion, the Green List, and some of those other strategies is, is going to be your angle here. Yeah, I can buy into that. It's mostly about Pioneer right now, so Pioneer de- demand definitely matters, and that could turn it into a longer-term play. But inventory is relatively low, ramp is relatively steep. So before things get worse, these could trickle out the door. And if you put it on a 12-month horizon, I'm on board. Yeah, I think, you know, I suppose with the changes in tournament, it meet space tournaments, everything is just probably getting two to four months tacked on to its timeline, right? Like, for sure. I like Jay, I, I, I'm like Jay Light Ranger is a good three to six month card, but it's like, well, actually, if nobody plays magic for two months, it's probably like a six to 12 month card. So, yeah, and, and, ha- and haters will say there are great opportunities for really short term stuff. You know, like the stuff our our pro traders just bought from Europe trumps pretty much everything we're talking about tonight. But those opportunities aren't available to everybody. And a lot of those opportunities are going to dry up as businesses get more cautious, less product gets cracked, um, and general economic conditions worsen. So the kinds of stuff we would, on an average week, you know, be looking to get in and out of within a month is just not going to be less and less available or at minimum less reliable. Because you just mm-hmm. don't, you know, the lack of coverage, the lack of major tournament events, the lack of impetus for people to buy things to carry to their FNM, that adds up. I mean, there are a lot of trend lines working against Paper Magic right now. And so anything that's not in Commander, I think, has to be talked about on a, that 12-month horizon. Yeah, I would agree. Including my next that. pick. Uh, the One of the other rares from Modern Horizons I've got my eyes on here, Archmage's Charm which I'm pretty sure Fournier uh, downplayed and then later backpedaled on. Um, didn't seem like there was going to be room for it in Modern because so many other great counter spells. I think his comment at the time, if I'm not misquoting, was that he thought Cryptic Command would earn all the slots that this might try to take. And turns out this is now like the 28th most played card in Modern. Foils are near $20, are basically sold out, and they're likely a strong buy. And on that basis alone, if you like the foils now would be the time, same as with Quaddle. And if you don't like the foils, then the non-foils at four to go to eight and say a twelve to fourteen month horizon seems pretty reasonable. Sure. Yeah, there was something what got printed in modern that changed his outlook. So I remember he was down on a bunch of stuff in that format, and then suddenly they printed something and he got all excited about it. Uh shoot, I don't remember. But yeah, this card is a, one of the better cards out of that format or out of that set. Um, clearly popular in modern. I think that's probably, I would have to imagine this card is popular in a lot of kitchen table decks. I don't know why I think that, but I have that well, sense. Well, it's, it's a commander it's card too. It's there. registered in 2,500 plus, which is not a huge number uh, in eight months or whatever it is since it came out. Ten months, eight, eight or nine months. Um, but it's, it's, it's reasonable. Like it's, it's a multi-format card for sure. Um, the fact that it can counter any spell or draw two cards or gain control of target non-land permanent with converted mana cost one or less means you can grab mana crypts. You can grab soul rings. I mean, the commander applications are real. Yeah. So no, I think this is solid. This is, uh, definitely probably top five, uh, modern horizons picks. You know, if you've got, Ice Fang Coatl on the top. This is also up there. 
and you're not going to see foils of this card again for a long time. So, you, you know, the horizon on it might be a little long, but frankly, where there, even if there's not a huge demand, where else are people going to find these? Well, and to be clear, my pick is the non-foils at four to go to eight. The foils uh, of both the cards are basically selling out. So side note, you need to buy them now if you want them, but both picks non-foil. Both still Saudi. I guess I transpose that with the two cells around it. Um, but even still, I think that's uh, I think I like the idea of going after Modern Horizons right now because no one's paying putting their attention there. So those prices are going to be probably a little on the lower side, which means it's a perfect time to start going after some of those options. Well, one of the that's a good point, right? Like one of the things here is you don't necessarily for the non foils at least of both these cards, you can wait. Like maybe these are the cards you contact your LGS and try to get 20% off TCG low. Maybe these are the cards that you wait for a real good sale, because in a month, you could be seeing really great sales offerings from online vendors if their sales slow. If their sales actually go up, because people are at home looking for things to do and they end up doing a lot of online shopping, then they won't necessarily have the impetus to introduce a lot of sales, but no one really knows what's going to happen. So, you know, for you can probably take a deeper breath before you line up your targets for the next three months or so. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I, I snagged a couple, I have, I have bought cards over the last several weeks that are probably going to be a lot slower moving now than they would have been otherwise, which I suppose is true for everyone. It's just sort of like kind of thinking about it now. It's like, oh yeah, all that stuff that I grabbed that I was excited about, probably not going anywhere, is it? I mean, I, I just shifted into long-term mode as soon as I realized there was probably a recession coming. Like the uh, most of the stuff I bought from the mystery boosters is the stuff that I have no hope of selling for at least a year anyway. You know, like I'm not... Mana Crypts at 70 will probably be pretty easy to flip at 100 if I want to. But I could also just wait a year until it gets back up solidly to 160, 170. If, the, mm. if there's no reprint of Mystery Boosters. Because hmm. the, the card already rebounded like $20 after getting targeted pretty hard over the weekend. There was hmm. copies in the US as low as 115, 120 briefly last weekend, but they've already been sucked up. Well... Yeah, I mean, you the, the, like you said, the EDH type stuff, you'll you'll probably be able to move through easier. But the uh, anything else, it's going to be rougher for sure. All right, tell me about this next uh, pick. I like this one. Yeah, so I had to actually double back and go make sure that this wasn't on any of our our picks. Um, for, but the you picked the non foils at episode like 165 so it's been nearly a year since this card has shown up on our on our cards to watch which i genuinely surprised me um that card is nissa who shakes the world um nissa shook coronavirus out say again indeed she does yeah i picked the non foils go two dollars to five dollars that was a pretty good pick yeah oh yeah i'll say so um Nissa who shakes the world foils out of War of the Spark hanging around $11 right now. Now, there are, uh, let me double check here, like five foil printings of this card. There is the pre-release, the promo pack, uh, the promo pack and pack then the foils, pack foils, Japanese foils, and Japanese pack foils. Yes, Japanese so there's all of those. Although the Japanese anime foils, I think, are out of stock. And a lot. On TCG from... Very expensive. Say again? And they're very yeah. expensive. 
Right, 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 right. And also there's the stained glass, which are down to 30 right now, which honestly might be a buy, but I haven't dug deep enough on the distribution and inventory of that to get a feel for it. Some of the stained glass already look great if you believe they're not forthcoming. If, if you don't, if you believe that that faucet's going to turn off soon. If they're going to do it for the rest of the year, as we talked about last week, then you know that potential has kept me hands off. I haven't gone in on any stained glass walkers yet. But if they were to make okay. an announcement tomorrow that said, listen, you're going to get see a few more of the missing stained glass walkers for the next three secret layers, and then we're switching to something else, I would be seriously looking at moving in on some of these. Grabbing some of those, yeah. And the the price on um on the sting on the Nissa stained glass crashes from fifty to thirty, like over the course of seven copies. Or you can look at it and go, wow, there's a copy at thirty, and then it ramps up to fifty in like six copies. But that could just be I'm not exactly clear which direction that's going at the moment. I think it's going down, not up. But in any case, the pack foils are currently around $11 or so. I think there's like one or two that you can snag at 10 but for the most part, they're about $11. Now, the cheapest copy is actually this guy who has 27 copies at <laughs> yeah. 11, $11.30. Who, who was in early and is happy about it. Yeah, so he he's thrilled about that. But other than that, there doesn't appear to be a glut of supply anywhere. And, you know, if you look at that guy with his 27 copies at 11 bucks, and then you get about three play sets in and you're up to 15 uh, and then you're out of stock. So, you know, beyond essentially that one vendor, there's not a lot of inventory on any of these. So the, there was like 20 something, 20 ish vendors of the pack foils. And then if I look over at pre-release foils, there are five people selling copies. Um, so, you know, that's not very many copies. The promo pack has got, 11 people selling copies and that's the one you can grab at $10. And then again, you, there's two play sets and they're 18 bucks. So we know that uh, Nissa Who Shakes the World is currently the 15th most played spell in Pioneer. It's very popular. You're seeing it in the Mono Green Devotion builds and I pulled it out of a Simic Ramp build. You know, it's a couple different strategies that are making use of her. We know she's very well established as being a strong card. I think that getting in on these now, hopefully snagging them, maybe from standard players who might be looking to shift them uh, in anticipation of you know losing access next fall, uh, could could put you in well positioned to get paid off in Pioneer in six months to a year. I would assume that the standard players are mostly hoarding non-foils, and so I would expect non-foils to drop to some attractive number midsummer come the fall. Uh, the foils are probably mostly coming. The man is coming from EDH and in, in Pioneer. This is a almost six thousand decks reported on EDH Rack, uh, one of the stronger cards out of War in that format. Four percent of all green decks are running it. Um, so I wouldn't be worried about holding foils. I'd be happy getting it in at this price. Uh, he does have a twenty-seven copy wall, <laughs> so it just kind of depends on how deep you want to go. And again, you you can wait and hope to get a sale. Since he's that wall is anchoring the price near eleven dollars, um, you can use that to negotiate ten dollar copies on social media or via your LGS. Um, I'm not in a huge rush to add them to my stack, but you could do a lot worse than going after this card because this is a very powerful planeswalker. It doubles the mana production of forests. It puts creatures on the battlefield. Its emblem uh, is 
not really a game-winning thing, but the ramp ability is enough to keep this as a staple uh, in at least EDH and Pioneer for as long as the power curve is held to a certain level. So you told me how much you like it, and then you said you don't want to own any. No, I said I'm not in a rush. Like these these cards, I, I suspect that because this guy's anchoring 27 copies at 11, unless you know people listening go ahead and bite those off, it'll be hard for there to be immediate price movement. And because this is mostly, most of the demand comes from paper tournaments that don't exist right now, I'd be looking to get these a little cheaper, uh, bide my time. But the commander demand is real, and it anchors the card. So these foils will get there. What, what did you call them to go to? 20? Like tw- uh, 20 to 25, I think. 20, 20 is very a very reasonable number to expect, but I, I like to look for at least a double up, and I, I do think 25 is probably viable. I mean, yeah, I, I like it better at like 20 to 22 for sure to make sure you hit your target. <laughs> but sure. the, yeah, it, it's going to get there. It's just a question, just a matter of time. Um, I got to dream big. Fair. All right, my my last pick is another long term staple that I think is kind of inevitable. Um, Castle Vantress, um, and you can go whatever direction you want here. Foils and non foils are basically the same price out of Eldrain. Um, there's a lot less of the foils, and people are clearly buying them because the ramp is forming up. Uh, it looks like these foils will be six to ten dollars before long. Um, it gets played a ton in both Commander and Pioneer, where it's going to be a staple for some time. In Pioneer, it's all about blue-white control, and it's just a good... Being able to scry two in the mid-to-late game in Commander is just a useful ability to have on a utility land um, that can also you know, tap for blue. So Vantress is going to get there. The castles, just in general, have been excellent specs, uh, particularly blue, green, and black. And Vantress is probably, you know, third on that list. But if you like pack foils, I would snap off some of these at three bucks and I think you're going to be fine. Might find them anywhere from three to four. Again, not a huge rush because the inventory isn't super drained. But whether you go the foil or the non-foil route, I think this is a card you're going to want to have in your portfolio come a year, year and a half from now. Yeah, going long term with these seems solid um, because I do imagine... Every EDH player is going to want a copy or or two of these stashed in their binder somewhere because it's a card they're going to put. You know, every time you have a blue deck, there's going to be a question of whether you want to play Castle Vantress. Um. So yeah, I I think the outlook on this and most of those lands out of Throne of Eldraine is solid. Uh, I'm always happy to be looking at lands in EDH that are not already. Uh, very expensive because those sell so well because they're one of the, you know we talk about EDH typically only sells one copy which is like sort of true you only need one chrome shell crab but you know a card like Castle Vantress you can own several copies of and be happy about because you put them in multiple decks and we know EDH players build a lot of decks um, so it's an it's a, the ability to kind of play the EDH angle and also get to sell multiple copies to the same person possibly so I'm on. I, I like that angle here. Yeah, that that's a very key point. Is that if there's a card that goes in any deck that's in the right colors, that's a very different scenario than a card that's specific to a theme that might be specific to a commander that you only play in one of your decks. 
Um, Vandris has no specific utility for any specific commander. It's just generally useful. Comes into play as an untapped land that makes blue if you control an island, which you probably do. And later in the game, scrying two repeatedly. It's just overall good card. They don't print lands like this very often either. Like the utility at the level of the castles is not super common. Um, those kind of cycles don't come along all that often. So it's going to get some room to breathe, I think. Okay. Um, I got one more here. I sneakily added as we were talking. I see that. Because I went back and looked it up. Corvold Fey Cursed King, people may recall, is a brawl deck card. Uh, as you mentioned, very popular as a commander, one of the most popular commanders of the last year, and has been important in uh, Standard and Pioneer, um, and uh, lately uh, alongside the aforementioned Ugin's Nexus. And the non-foil copies were only available in the mystery boosters, uh, sorry, not mystery boosters, the collector boosters for Eldraine. So... When it started, when it kicked off as being a good deck in standard, surprisingly, uh, in the fall, we called it to go 12 to 20 on episode 195 and got an exit window. I only had two or three copies in stock, but they all sold that week. Um, and I think they were selling them 19.99 or something. Uh, but it's some copies have dropped back down to seven dollars for the non-foils, and the ramp's looking real steep. Uh, I don't see how the non-foils could possibly hold that because nobody is opening. Eldraine collector boosters anymore and there's just no point of resupply so these going from say seven or eight dollars to 15 to 20 in a year or two seems very very likely the ramp is already quite telling on tcg yeah that's uh that's pretty great especially for a card that's so popular in edh and is doing such a good job holding his position and you know we had the throne of Eldraine came out Obviously, he jumped to the top of the line in terms of how popular he was as a commander, and he's pretty much held that spot since. But we had, um, uh, what is this? Oh my god, what is the set that came out? Theros Beyond Death. Theros came out and brought no commanders with it. So, I mean, is Ikoria going to do the same thing? Probably not. But like. They could, it could miss, right? They maybe they don't find anyone else, and then Corvold maintains his position as top EDH commander for yet another, you know, three months, uh, or you know, until that commander product starts dropping. So, um, I think that he's these popular commanders have a way of really holding on for a while, and I think he's going to be uh, one of those guys. Yeah, for the for the record, in the past month on EDH Rec, the five most popular commanders are Corvold, Faker's King, number one. Golos Tireless Pilgrim, number two, at uh, 429 decks and 407 decks, respectively. Then Alela, Artful Provocateur, which is the other one from the Brawl decks, 373 decks. Then Muldrotha the Gravetide at 366, and Yuriko the Tiger Shadow at 327. So you've got a Dominaria card, two Eldraine cards, an M20, and a Commander 2019 or 2018 on Yuriko. I can't remember. 2018, I believe. Um, 20 something. And then Atraxan in 7th, right? Which is why I continue to invest in my Atraxa deck because basically not, no matter what has happened, Atraxa has stayed <laughs> top of yeah. mind. Um, and why one of my other decks is Muldratha. Uh, That's not too surprising. Yeah. So, you know, Corval looks well positioned. I think people are going to get a chance to double dip here. If they, you know, the available inventory around 7 or 8 is not super deep. So you might end up paying anywhere from 
6 to 10, depending on where you're buying and how hard you're negotiating, what kind of sale you hit, whether you're using ProTrader coupons, etc. But yeah, I, I think you can snap off four or five copies of non-foil core gold under 10 and be fine. The double dip is always satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a mox amber. The um, All right, so we didn't have a, a pro trader pick that jumped out at me this week as being particularly excellent uh, at that Dovin's veto foil pick last week, which was a hard act to follow. But uh, I think it's worth... You guys are disappointing us. Well, not really, because I think one of the, the most <laughs> common lines of chatter in our Discord this week was all about how... If people are staying home, they're probably going to be pay- playing a lot more Magic Online. So looking at Pioneer and Modern staples for MTGO is probably the place to be. And I think they're probably right. There's a bit of an issue, I think, for me that is going to echo with some other listeners where if you're already kind of maxing your available hobby time, whether that's between fun time plus MTG finance tracking, research and buying and selling then jumping in on magic online requires you to track a whole nother set of numbers every week because even though decks tend to do similarly well both in paper and on magic online and are relatively tightly clustered in that way there are significant differences in card availability and and price movement and things can move very fast on magic online so it definitely i think to do it well you need to be at minimum, committed to playing one of the formats so that you're tracking what's going on in that format as part of your fun side of things. So your research time is is part of your, you know, goofing off time. That will help you be better informed about cards you could be targeting uh, for Magic Online. Um, there's also that whole shorting angle we talked about that we re- ran an article on recently where... You can borrow cards from the the rental services, sell them right away, and then buy them back when they drop. But there are all sorts of pitfalls associated with that. So it does require research to turn on this, this part of your MTG Finance game. But I suspect the people that put the time in are going to do pretty well. Because uh, I found that like about two to three hours of research was the minimum to keep on top of my portfolios when I was managing about 20,000 tickets worth. And I've long since exited those positions, but I might, you know, some of the stuff I was holding for a long time went up again, things like dig through time and so forth. Um, and if you played Magic Online for a long time drafting, you might just have random Ugin's Nexuses and Inverters of Truth and stuff sitting around that you could turn into tickets and then either play while you're stuck at home or maybe look at some cards to invest in. This feels uh, a touch cute to me. Maybe it can be a little too cute, right? Like, uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but hoping for major changes based on people kind of being pushed inside, like the average Magic player who is now not able to play events in the store is probably going to arena, not moto. I feel like the moto grinders are probably not going to have their play patterns influenced by this too much because they were playing moto anyways. And the people who weren't playing much moto yet, but would move on to playing magic online because of the store closings would play arena rather than moto. I get the idea behind it. I'm just not sold that you're actually going to see that much of an uptick in players. Well, we'll be able to report back on it 
shortly because you know sites like Goldfish track price of baskets of cards. So we will be able to get a sense of how things seem to be trending as the situation develops. I'd be surprised if they didn't see at least a 15 or 20 percent uptick in overall play. Seems to make a lot of sense to me because people working from home are going to get away with playing video games. That's just the reality. Um, because moving, working from home does not mean you have the same workload when every the world is dealing with this kind of situation. A lot of Projects are going to get put on hold. Fresh spend is going to get, you know, if you were managing a, say, web design project for your business, you know, I'm going to get calls for sure this month where work for our agency is just going to get put on indefinite hold because nobody wants to take on the responsibility of trying to launch something into this situation. So, you know, my, my little brother is stuck working from home and don't tell his boss, but he played a lot of Call of Duty yesterday. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that. I guess... I, I'm not. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I'm just not sure that you're going to get quite as much movement out of it as maybe you're hoping for. Like, who are you t- trying? It, because you're not going to bring new players into MTGO for the most part. Like, this isn't going to bring new well, blood in. It'll just well, be the enfranchised player who plays more. I've got an account that I've had active since like the first year of Magic Online. I hardly ever play, but. My daughter's three now, not one, so she's less of a handful, sort of. I have more free time because she goes to bed at 8, a, 8 p.m. now instead of midnight. Um, and I'm definitely going to have less pressure from the, my main gig. Guaranteed projects are going to get put on hold shortly here, just waiting for those emails to roll in. And then I'll probably maybe try Pioneer on Magic Online. Like, other people must be thinking that way. And I don't think you need much of a, a percentage change in overall activity to see prices move a lot. Like 15% more people doesn't equal 15% more on key cards. It could equal 60% on key cards because the algorithms are all about uh, how many c- copies sell per minute per hour kind of thing. If there's con- relatively constant pressure on buy on the buy and sell side of a card on Magic Online, it will stay static. If you have a bunch of people in the same two or three weeks decide to get in on it and buy a deck, cards will skyrocket. Sure, that makes sense to me. Like you'll you can you get those spikes. Uh, um, okay, I, I mean I'm willing. You know, I, I'll I could definitely be wrong about it. I I think healthy skepticism makes sense. There's nothing guaranteed on Magic Online. You still got to pick the right card at the right time and timing any market is difficult and magic online is not easier than anything else. So there's all sorts of caveats to jumping in on this, but I think it's in terms of cards to watch, quote unquote, absolutely. Like it will be one of the things that I think is most worth watching, especially if you buy into the, you know, people that would have spent money on GPs or at their local LGS are now looking for places to spend that money because they're not that hard up and they've got, you know, their situation is is not particularly financially dangerous, at least in the short term. Mm-hmm. I guess my biggest takeaway is that if you are not already invested, if you don't follow Moto and you're not into Moto, it doesn't mean that you should be getting in now. That's a, a difficult world to get involved with if you don't already have the insight into how that market works yep. like i know obviously i do a podcast about magic finance i feel like i'm pretty well equipped to talk about this type of stuff but i don't 
I, I would be nervous about trying to go after moto stuff because the market and economy is so different there than it is in paper that it's easy to think you know what you're doing and then I feel like probably get branched. Yeah. So, I mean, there there are people uh, on our Discord that we have a channel set up just for Magic Online Finance these days, and we do have people in there that are pretty active and I think are generating a lot of great commentary um, that is ahead of where I'm currently at with it because I'm just not paying attention to it. So that's one option is to come in and spend some time learning before you decide to take the plunge. At, at minimum, understanding that market helps you just make your decks cheaper on Magic Online. Sure. Um, okay, so that brings us to segment three. Wait, wait, hold on. We ma- didn't pick our favorite. Oh, right. So for me, it's either Corvold for the double up, double dip, or Nissa who shakes the world foils. Um, I, I, I don't like love, love, love any of these. I feel like if I like one the most, it's probably Nissa because I just, I feel like I see that card all the time. Um, I feel bad. Like, I feel like I pick mine every week, which makes <laughs> me look arrogant. It, I, I think it's a solid pick. Like it's, it's a tri format staple. I don't think the foils are going to take a major dip at rotation. It has better EDH backing than everything here except Corvold. So I, th- I think both of those, you know, whether they're one in in which order you put them, I don't think is particularly relevant. I think it's the the best of the bunch, um, at least for the uh, the shortest timeline. Ice Van Quaddle and Archmage's Charm are going to get there, but it's going to be a long time. I know I didn't get a chance to dig through the Corvold numbers closely because you kind of added it as we were going. So the, I, my opinion on that might change if I spent more time looking at the, the math. Yep, fair enough. All right, let's take a brief look at our metagame we can review. We've got Pioneer Preliminary and a Modern Preliminary to take a look at. Kick it off with Pioneer, the format we think is uh, most relevant these days. Uh, moving the most cardboard, as far as I can tell. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the same stuff. we got the mono green uh, Nykthos decks that seem like they're going to be around as long as Nykthos exists. And eventually they probably just get too good and they have to ban this card. The Nykthos? Yeah. Like, eventually there's just going to be too much power in mono green, would be my guess. I Well, I mean, we I guess we already saw it. The question is, will it happen again? Uh, I mean, we all thought Nykthos was going to be too much when it was first printed in Theros, and that never really came to fruition. You know, it wasn't until Pioneer, essentially, that the card finally was a little too good. The deck is just a pile of specs. For Karn the Great Creator, for Nyssa Who Shakes the World, for Vivian Arcbow Ranger... All of those cards have made me money. The problem is that I think it continues to get like, yes, mono green will get better, but so will the other decks. And if the other decks get better faster, then it just keeps getting worse. It really helps though that there's not a ton of Tron style ramp in the format outside of green. So, and the fact that they have four Elvish Mystic and four Llanowar Elves in a format that doesn't have Path or Bolt and leans on push, Abrupt Decay, and Assassin's Trophy um, means that I think the position of this deck is tightly uh, linked to when they give us more one-mana removal for the format. 
And I, well, I was just going to say that, and I think I think that's a, a very valid interpretation. Like mono green devotion is going to keep getting better until something comes along that says, nope, like we're taking all the wind out of your sails. And that might be what really keeps it from becoming a true problem in the format. Like, is there a greater signal that you're not worried about removal spells than running two voyaging satyr in your competitive deck? <laughs> one in a green for a one-two that untaps your Nykthos? You're just like, I'm going to run this out on whenever. I'm not really worried about anyone killing it because what are they targeting it with that's going to put them up on mana? Yeah, even if they kill it, they spent just as much mana as you did playing it, so you're not too bummed about it. Mm-hmm. You're still seeing the Salti decks all over the place. Friends of mine here in Toronto claim this is the best deck in Pioneer. Fournier says the same. Uh, inverter decks so far untouched in Pioneer, so they're still doing work. We got the green-black uh, Monsters deck that's uh, Great Henges and uh, Rotting Regisaurs. Uh, this one had four Nessian Hornbeetle. I don't think I even know what this card does. Set of Theros. One in a green, 2-2 two, two at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control another creature with power 4 or greater, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Nessian Hornbeetle. <laughs> don't think that slot's going to last for very long. Won't take long before they've got a better 2-drop to put in there. I don't know, man. Get on that Nessian Thornbeetle meta. Yeah. So that's the that's like the... the the best decks in the prelim. I'm sure if we went digging in the leagues, we could find something super interesting. But it, Pioneer looks pretty stable. Like there are seems like six, seven, eight viable decks, and they're all doing fine. Format doesn't look busted. Yeah, it doesn't is... look like Heliod combos not dominating. Inverter doesn't seem to be dominating. Things are fine. Yeah, and which is a good place for it to be. I'm excited for it. It's going to be a little slower. Well, actually, I will be a little slower. Feel like it might actually be faster. Well, bre- breach decks are nowhere to be seen here. Well, I meant like um, the rate at which you know the format is sort of getting opened up is going to slow down because of everyone getting forced home. But actually, maybe that's not true. Like maybe all the people are going to go home and play. Well, if they play on online, then jam then more the games online. Sure pretty yeah. Hard. yeah. Um, all right. So moving over to the modern prelim. Uh, see if there's anything that jumped out at us there. Uh, nothing really catching my eye. You know, you got these Ice Fang Quaddle Bant decks that are off the back of Uro, Snapcaster Mage, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Big and Small Teferi, Arkham's Astrolab, the uh, aforementioned Archmage's Charms, Cryptic Commands, Force Negation, Mana Leak, Path to Exile, like mid range Bant Control, Still a Force. That's a fun looking then, deck. Yeah. Then there's a lot of you know, a lot of Ur- Urza's decks. Here. Urza's decks running around. I was looking at Emery Lurker of the Lock extended art foils at about forty the other day, thinking I should probably pick up a few more of those. Um, it's going to take some time for that stuff to drain, but Emery's just too good. Card card's awesome. Em- Emery's the type of card that I need to see this. Like the price point on those extended art foils, like sounds like it's probably good, but. Given that she's mostly only seen modern play and not, you know, whatever her EDH play is, like there will be a time where I'm excited about those, but I think the supply has to be very low. Well, the, the foils are already I'm, pretty I'm low interested. to begin with. The um, people have been undercutting well, each foils other dollar at a time for a while. Um, yeah. And my argument is that it's not a pioneer card now, but it will be. Like they will print enough busted artifacts eventually into pioneer that Emery will get turned on in that format. The, and I, 
I argument, think, I think ar- that arguments would be can what already be is. made that there is a Kethis deck, and that the Kethis deck is probably only one or two cards away from being more competitive. I think that's what it is for me, as I need to see Emery start to show up in Pioneer. And once that happens, now I'm more eager to get involved. There's a 5-0 Jun deck here that uh, shows off Croxa, Titan of Death's Hunger, holding its two slot, uh, two slots in Jund. So I'm sure people that went in early on that will be happy. Um, got Infect decks, and then Green Tron Ramp. Nothing, nothing super exciting in the prelim. This is all the usual suspects. Yeah. Yep. So we'll see Formats what kind of nastiness gets steady. revealed in Ikoria because that those previews start April second, which is only two weeks away. That will be uh, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that, and I think a lot of probably a lot of people are looking forward to that. I would imagine. Uh, all right, so moving right along to segment four, we wanted to have a little bit of a discussion about some of the broader points brought up in. Tolarian Academy's recent video that was called The Rising Cost of Magic the Gathering Dies to Removal, episode 25, that he uh, did with the gentleman known as Kenobi. Uh, Vince, I guess, is is Kenobi's real name. Um, And they did a little skit where they basically, this was published on March 16th, uh, 2020, so yesterday, um, and they did a little skit where they pretended they worked for Wizards of the Coast, and they talked about all the things they would do if they got to make decisions. Did anything jump out at you? Stuff that you latched onto as either ideas that you thought were questionable or things that you thought would be great for the game? Oh, that's a nice bait. <laughs> no, nothing here was worth talking about. That's why we devoted a segment to it. <laughs> uh, I, this is... This is a conversation that we've probably had a couple times now. Some of our listeners are probably going to be tired of it. Some newer people might not have heard it. Uh, It strikes me that the overarching message of this conversation was, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want all of the magic cards to be very cheap so that I can have all of them with sort of turning a blind eye to the fact that if all of your magic cards are very cheap and you can have all of them, then your cards aren't worth anything. And players don't like their cards to not be worth anything. They like to have their cards in their booster packs. And I thought that one of the clearest examples of that was his call to put masterpieces back in booster packs. And in fact, he went on to talk about how like, oh, just take the bad masterpieces out. So it's only good masterpieces. Like, I don't want to have a choice between a Fetchland Expedition and a Tangoland Expedition. It should just be all Fetchland Expeditions. And it's like, do you, you know, if you look back at the prices on standard cards from Battle for Zendikar, um, and like they were garbage, like the cards just were worth nothing because there was so much value in the Masterpiece slot that, and the booster box prices were still the same, that the every other card in the pack couldn't be worth anything um and you know kaladesh faced the same problem is just there's okay i can open a 400 soul ring uh so this box like every other card in this pack can't be worth anything um and players don't like that which is why part of the reason why wizards moved away from the in pack model 
basically the math is it those things were like one in every three boxes i think early on and got a little bit more common later on so say they say that in some future set they bring them back and they say that we're going to have masterpieces one every two boxes or something and the average value of one of those based on whatever theme they select is sixty dollars that means that each box is has $30 of EV associated with the masterpiece. And if the box was, say, $100 retail, the EV of the rest of the cards in the box has to be 70 or less because 30 is reliably sourced from the masterpiece. And what that does is, yes, it can make the some of the cards in the sets cheaper for players, but it also undermines the ability for your LGSs to stay open by mining... The, the singles card sales related to the set. Mm-hmm. When they when they crack the entire box, they don't get bonus EV out of it from the masterpieces because the EV will just be spread. This is what people don't understand. No matter what you put in a booster box, the, the EV of that box will tend to approximate its cost because if, it's, if boxes can be had by vendors for $72 or whatever, and the EV of a box is $160, they're motivated to buy as much product as they can get their hands on, crack it, sell the singles, recoup their costs, and keep doing that. What that ends up doing is flooding the market with singles. And as the market gets more and more flooded with singles, there's a race to the bottom because every seller on TCG is motivated to reduce costs by $0.05 cents per cards to make sure that their cards actually sell. Because if they don't, if you're the 50th best price on TCG, your card will not sell unless you're, a TC direct, you're in a TC direct, TCG direct situation. And as a result, the prices, the estimated value of the average set of cards pulled out of a box will always regress back down. Now, where that tends to recover for players is when that set goes out of print. And and that's why people that have been Magic players for a long time have been able to mine their collections for serious value. Because Wizards' long-term game plan of letting sets be easily available these standard sets easily available while they're in print and then increasingly difficult to find when they're out of print is a big part of what makes this hobby so sticky for people that have been in it a long time because your collection tends to hold value and the prof has made this argument many times which i don't think is is extreme very well thought out about how there are other hobbies that are cheaper and we've spoken in response a few times at least, including a video I did for him at his request a few years back about how, yeah, sure, some hobbies are very cheap. You can play soccer by just buying a soccer ball and then you can... Oh, that conversation riled me up. And, and, and you can just go to a patch of grass and kick the ball around with your friends or buy a $20 Frisbee and that's your hobby. Yes, things can be very cheap. And if you need things to be cheap, those are the kind of hobbies you should think about. The ones that are highest EV. Magic has never been cheap. It's not designed to be cheap. The game, by virtue of having different rarities for singles, sets that come in and out of print, long furloughs between reprints, all means that the the hobby will be relatively pricey. Now, it's not yachting or, you know, equestrian activities, but, you know, the and a modern deck might cost you anywhere from 500 to 1500 depending on what's in it. And one of the other major things that the prof harps on over and over and over again is how fetch lands need a reprint. Fetch lands need a reprint. Mm. Well, he's right. The Zendikar fetch lands especially 
do need a reprint yeah, they, because they did get a reprint by the way by, by from the time that he because they they I guess there's a three-week gap on filming it and releasing it and in that three-week gap they announced a fetchland reprint well probably not the one he wanted well, pro- well probably two <laughs> fetchland reprints though so first of all uh first of all those those fetches did go a long time between zendikar and modern masters 2017 um most of a decade and it's now 2020, so we're three years out from the, the release date of Modern Masters 2017, and they're, they're very pricey again. They actually rebounded very quickly. I think fetches were extremely good deals three years ago, and within three to six months, they had regained like 40 or 45% of their lost value. Um, so in the context of being released in a master set, they were very reliable um, uh, rebound. Uh, opportunities is is he correct in saying that they are you must have them to play the game no i strongly disagree with that one of the greatest things about magic is there are so many different ways to play it including formats like popper which he advocates on a regular basis where you can't play with fetches and edh where fetches absolutely make your deck better most of the time but you don't need them and you're very unlikely to win or lose a game on based on whether you have fetches in your deck. There are because you have the access to the full pantheon of land cycles throughout Magic's history. It's very easy to make a good land base without the fetches, um, especially if you don't also have the dual lands. And I'm not talking about shocks; I'm talking about original duels. If you have shocks and duels, then it's silly to not have the fetches. But if you don't have, if you have shocks but not duels then the fetches are good but not incredible because you've only got... I, the whole Fetchland thing is interesting to me because it's it's definitely the, the point that gets harped on a lot. And you, he's not the only one that uses that as a as a talking point either. Fetchlands are constantly referred to. And it was, uh, I'm going to say, more valid six months ago than it is today. But now, where do you play fetches you're not playing them in standard they were banned at the outset on pioneer uh so that leaves modern and you know you have legacy but like i'm not counting legacy because that's not that's for all intents and purposes isn't a real magic format like people play it and they love it but that's not such a tiny minority part. of total magic. Yeah, yeah, right. Like that doesn't speak to such a small percentage of the people that play magic. It just doesn't count. Same with vintage. So it's just modern and EDH. Well, modern is losing ground rapidly, uh, I think, to Basically half the Pioneer. tournaments that could have been modern or standard were turned into Pioneer tournaments. Yeah, and if you think that's not going to change, like that's not going to keep Expand. happening, you're dreaming. Yeah, the, that's the the direction that is is going, and I don't know if it's going to be three months or you know a year or so, but that's clearly what's going to happen. Um, and in EDH, are they nice to have? Yes, I like having fetch lands in Commander. Do I need them? No, not at all. And I mean, I've I had fetch lands, uh, I think in most of my decks, but I ended up taking them out because, or I shouldn't say I took them out. I I did not keep up with the number of decks that I had. Um, I had more decks than I had fetch lands and I was completely fine with that, uh, especially cause a lot of like the, the lesser color decks, you don't even need them. You know, if you're playing a five color deck, they're closer to necessary than not, but you know, in one or two color decks, who gives a shit? 
Uh, so the idea that you have to have these cards to play magic is less true today than it ever has been, which dovetails with a larger point that he keeps talking about how magic is, uh, too expensive is so expensive and it's too expensive to play and blah, blah, blah. And I, I actually, you know, I don't have the numbers. I did, you know, I was watching this while I was writing up the spreadsheet for this cast and this type of work would take some time to go get the numbers on, but, I don't think Magic's more expensive at all to play right now. And if I had to take a guess, I would say Magic is cheaper to play today than it has been in quite some time. Um, and the introduction of all of these special products is the reason for that, because Wizards has offloaded the cost of of Magic essentially to um, cosmetics. They have taken, they have essentially gone the way of the, you know, the treasure chest uh, not treasure chest what is the term the loot box magic is wizards essentially added loot boxes to magic and pushed into a, a like closer to a free-to-play microtransaction model like you would see in Fortnite. yeah and I, that's that that has really changed the face of of buying into magic absolutely because think about what they've done by increasing the foil drop rate by 50 percent. pack foils are now the same price as non-foils that's a huge mm-hmm. bonanza if you're an EDH player who likes to foil at your deck or a casual player or collector that likes to collect foils, those foils are way cheaper than they used to be. That's a big change in the format. And they they accomplish that in two ways by A, increasing that foil drop rate and B, adding additional premium options. So now we have extended arts and foil extended arts. So the, the whales or the people that really want to spend, spend money on their decks have these options that only come out of more expensive booster boxes. So when the prof advocates that we should be going back to masterpieces, he's way behind the curve. Wizards has already outthought him and they're five steps ahead. Collector booster boxes were the solution to masterpieces because they basically prevent the EV from dropping in the main set while still allowing them to glean greater profit by putting out a smaller box only has 12 packs in it, takes up less space to ship for them through the distribution network, takes up less space on store shelves, but they get to charge twice as much for it, and they get to leverage a lot of the same IP. So in terms of their profit-taking model, this this helps make sure that regular pack prices don't go up. I mean, people need to understand what the alternatives are. Wizards is a profit-seeking entity. That doesn't mean they're good or what they're doing is awesome and we should always accept it you should on the contrary you should always assume that their model is working against your wallet everything we do in mgg finance is predicated on the fact that it's not that important to make money playing magic but it's certainly important to save money playing magic by understanding how these this economic this market works how this economic system has been built and one of those things is that if you if you fight against things like secret layer and collector boosters that help wizards generate really large profit margins on an extra hundred million a year in business, then you are backing them into a corner where they will start increasing booster uh, box prices for standard. And that's that's clearly not what Prof wants, right? Um, and as far as the fetches go, he makes the argument that the only thing that's expensive in Magic is fetches that like modern decks would not be expensive without fetches well that's simply untrue and it doesn't take much to to uh deconstruct it 
you look at something like the first place deck at SCG Regionals, uh, Bant Snowblade. Um, this deck on it's like the second most played uh, deck in modern on Magic Online. It's about six percent of the meta. And sure, the Misty Rainforests are almost $300. That's $280. He argues that fetches should be $10. Well, if the Misty Rainforests are taken from $280 to $40, that takes $240 out of the deck, but the deck is still well over $1,000. You've still got Stoneforge Mystics at $150 a play set. you got Snapcaster, a pair of Snapcaster Mages will cost you $90. Ice Fang Quaddles are already $20 a play set. Two Jace the Mind Sculptor at $190. Like, there's lots of other cards that are expensive. So yeah, at, and, you know... Sorry, go ahead. So just to wrap the point, at the top, top-down top level, you're someone considering getting into magic, you've never touched it before, then Prof's comment about the value of a magic deck versus other hobbies is absolutely valid. In the video that I originally responded to of his... He stacked up a bunch of board games that he, you could buy for 40 to $60 and talked about the number of hours of enjoyment you could yield from those on a per-game basis versus a Magic deck. And he's right. Like, if you can find a board game that you love to play and you can play it once, and twi- once or twice a week forever and be satisfied, that is for sure better EV than Magic. But if a Magic deck costs $1,000, but you play it three weeks out of every four for an entire year, you have more than gotten your value it's the same as going out to a movie it's the same as going out for dinner on a friday night no more no less expensive it's about the same price of entertainment and that's i think the most realistic perspective well and i have to take this opportunity to plug uh terraforming mars which is just absolutely phenomenal if you're into board games can't recommend it enough um but beyond that uh yeah like all of that is true. Um, the other part of it that I think is worth mentioning too uh, is that th- and this is something that like they you know is, gets pointed to is you know during the cost of magic and how expensive it is compared to other hobbies, which not really entirely true. But uh, going on that theme is uh, like yeah, you can buy a board game for. 40 or 50 60 bucks and get a bunch of hours of enjoyment out of it and that's great and um you know we do that fairly regularly in our play group but then you know is there any value left in that box for you after the fact uh you know board games do have a relatively healthy resale market uh but a lot of other hobbies don't do that and you use your equipment right it degrades in quality you can't resell it later on whereas magic cards assuming you keep your cards sleeved and are the same thing you have when you know you you buy them you play them you can sell them as though you've never touched them which is rare very different from a pair of skis (laughs) so like it's it's like you have a higher floating cost essentially the opportunity cost of playing magic is higher than a lot of other hobbies but the true cost to you can be much lower and if you play your cards right it's you make money having played the game because your cards got cheaper or your cards went up in value you know if you bought at the right time um which you can't really do right like you can't spec on a pair of skis but you sure can on magic cards. So I just, that, that whole thing kind of falls apart to me as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the argument that accessibility of excellent intellectual property is important. You have no argument from me, but 
because no one is forced to play magic, and even within magic, nobody is forced to play a specific expensive format, and even within a that format, they're not forced to play the most expensive deck, <laughs> a lot of this stuff falls apart on any kind of examination up close. Um, I mean, just look at another angle on fetch lands. Well, the, the cons fetch lands are not super expensive. They even, you know, four or five years later, they range from 10 to $20. That's completely reasonable. And especially if you're looking at it from the EDH matters most perspective, like that's where EDH players need them in the most number of decks. The, the fact of the matter is that you can use a polluted Delta instead of a Misty Rainforest. You can use a $15 Flooded Strand instead of a Misty Rainforest, and it will go get the same stuff for the most part. Now, putting all of that aside, he did record this before they announced the Secret Layer. And the Secret Layer is an LGS exclusive that's going to have five fetch lands. The MSRP that's not supposed to exist but does is apparently about 170 So I would guess that most LGSs are going to charge somewhere between 190 and 250 um, for the five uh, Zendikar fetches. But they also alluded to these fetches being available somewhere else this year. People seem to think that that might mean Commander Legends. That's a possibility. But I suspect those are actually coming out of a master set late summer. There's that lingering rumor, ghost of a rumor, haven't really been able to confirm it yet. But sounds like it's a master set late summer. And if that set is, say, something like a master set that focuses on both Pioneer and Modern, little of stuff for both, I could imagine a world where fetches would be in there. One of the ways that that could happen is I was I was trying to figure out what would be in a set like that and whether they could try to target multiple formats at once and was trying to figure out if it would be Pioneer plus Modern or Modern plus EDH, given their focus for the year. Modern mm. plus EDH makes the fetches even more likely to be in there if it's just a normal box of packs. But I was looking at the Modern Horizons boxes and I realized that they split down the middle and fold open where there's like half the, there's, there was 18 packs on one side and 18 packs on the other. And I was, it brought to uh, the forefront of my mind that in theory, you could put 18 modern packs on one side and 18 Pioneer or EDH packs on the other side. Hmm. And then you could have it perforated so stores could either sell them as a full box or rip them down the middle and sell them as demi boxes of 18 packs a piece. It'd be kind of nifty, an actual so you, like split in the product. It's like a split set, so it's basically yeah. two two sets, maybe a little smaller, like maybe they're 150 cards each or something, or 200 cards each, or maybe it's two full sets, but the set size is large enough that it's because they've already signaled with mystery boosters that this is a thing that is making sense to them. Give them reprints. In fact, give them lots of reprints but print everything at an elevated rarity so that the singles prices don't crash super, super hard. Like basically the niche stuff will crash, but the staples will recover relatively easily. Yeah. And if they, if they uh, carry forward with that trend line, the bottom line is that's all conjecture, but they have signaled that we're getting fetches, not just through the secret layer. So I would, I would expect that there are, it's either in a master set in the Commander Legends product, or the alternative is that it could be 
box topper related for Zendikar block. Because that makes perfect sense too, right? Like we know we're getting box toppers for Ikoria. They could easily have box toppers planned for Zendikar. And it could be masterpiece style stuff, like expedition style stuff that is not standard legal, but that you get on the top of the box. Yes. Uh, I would presume that they're not going to stop the box toppers anytime soon. Um, I mean, I also kind of, well, no, I didn't figure that with the masterpieces. Box toppers seem like they're working well for them. Um, as for what, what type of product you would see, I would have to imagine if they were going to pick, they would go with modern because they were kind of blown away with the popularity of pioneer. Right. So it seems like they probably wouldn't have lined up product for pioneer specifically this year, perhaps. Um, then they might be trying to milk, you know, if they push into pioneer too hard, too fast, they lose all the equity that modern has for them. So they might want to try and juice that cow a little bit. That's a weird metaphor. They might want to try and get more. Milk the cow? Yeah, juice milk the, the cow. cow some more. Juice, <laughs> Put it in juice the juicer. The cow. Pump the cow full of steroids, yeah. Uh, they might want to get more out of that that particular udder before they abandon it entirely for Pioneer. I, I don't love holding Zendikar expeditions right now. Um, I have a few in my EDH deck I may consider trying to exit from. I've got some judge foil fetches that are probably at best even holds. Like that was their intent, but under any amount of pressure from some cool new fetch releases that are broadly available. Secret layer is not bad. I'm not worried about, I don't think secret layer is going to much impact the price of scalping tarn at all. But if they give it to you again later in the year and they are easily available, then in a master set, just at, in the rare slot, that's totally different. If they're box toppers, they're super mythic, so they don't matter much. Like they won't impact the regular copies. But, okay. but my guess is that the smartest play is for them to be rare slot in an expensive set. They could also yeah. be mythics. They, they could move them to mythic and really piss people off. <laughs> that would be good. I, I, and, man, I got anyway, I don't like I don't love holding any of them. Let's put it that way. Hoping for profit anyway. If you got your personal yeah, copies, got... whatever you get, you're getting your use out of them. But I, I, I think I think that for all of my naysaying about how fetches are not a problem, I think Prof is going to see by the end of the year that they're addressing the issue anyway. And it really didn't take that long. They just gave us a reprint in 2017. It, I would argue that the gap between Zendikar and 2017 was a bigger problem because it went on for a long, long time. But two to three years between reprints is about what you should expect in the magic economy. That's what makes sense. If you if you push it too far in the direction he's hoping for, where fetches are forced to be $10, like they put them into a, a standard legal set as a rare, they would come down quite a ways. But they've, made, they've signaled they won't do that. And ultimately, if you push too far in that direction, you're heading to the living card game space where cards are just perpetually in print and there will be no money in selling the singles. And that doesn't matter. It's not about protecting MGG finance people. Like anyone who thinks that we argue on these topics from the basis of trying to keep our inventory numbers high, like our, the value of our inventory high doesn't get it at all. Ask any vendor. They will tell you that they sell way more copies of a $10 fetch land than they would ever sell of an $80 fetch land. And they would, they would love to see, Zendikar fetches reprinted in Ikoria in the rare slot, they would sell 
thousands of them. Because guys like me are going to buy 200 of them at $10 and hold them for two years. <laughs> they they would be extremely hot selling at a low, low price. So as long as they weren't truly a living card game where they announced they were perpetually in print on demand. Um, That's been covered so many times that, you know, what benefits all of the people in our universe and vendors is low prices and high volume sales, not $100 fetches. I think DJ was commenting on uh, Twitter about how like his average sale on TCG is like 6 or $7 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mine, mine, I don't know what my, my average is probably not six or seven, but I know that w- way more of my, this cards that I sell are, um, I don't have to, I'm not required to use tracking, which means they're under $20. I, and, and I'm in a weird position. My average is 20 to 25 because of the nature of what I focus on. Um, I don't like dealing with two and three dollar inventory, so I don't really. Even if I have it, I don't post it for sale. Um, but for sure, I think most vendors would agree with DJ's numbers as being a broad based average. The yeah, and, and, and because so we is, spec, so it changes a little a little bit because it depends on what we spec on. Yeah, the the other thing is that as you said, the, the fetches are not required in modern because they ban them in Pioneer, and they're going to give Pioneer some sexy new land cycles in the next couple of years and edh players are going to get more and more options those lands might cascade back into modern and legacy giving them additional options and they will reprint them so we we've ragged on his points long enough i do actually have one thing that to point out that he brought up that i not only agree with i don't think he goes far enough he was talking about in the intro skit about how he wants to see wizards bring back the DCI uh, program that basically rewarded you for uh, playing in sanctioned events or showing up at your LGS with cards that they would send you in the mail Um, and how connecting the dots on play equaling access to cooler promos on a regular basis is a good program. Um, And we've talked about this before. I'm a hundred percent behind that and want to see it go much, much further. Like my proposal for years has been a fully integrated player tracking and reward system that knows every event you played in, every card you bought. And yes, I mean that every time I I would like to see LGS is using uh, scan technology to scan what you bought and associate it with your DCI number, which yes, has privacy implications, but (laughs) no different than any other loyalty card that's in your wallet. And would allow wizards to, to 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 say, hey, look, these 17 states, EDH is what it's all about. And they get different promos because we know what they like to play. And this country needs to be handled differently because the stats coming out of there are, are totally different. You would get a more tailored approach from wizards, especially now that they've advanced the cause with experiments like secret layer they can start doing regionalized secret layers you know they could do a Mm. secret layer for europe a secret layer for japan and a secret layer for north america like every neighborhood's not going to get their own secret layer but you can do really interesting things when you have really good data and then players can get be sent discount coupons they can be sent incentives 
in situations like this, like where we've got this COVID thing going on, if you had that system in place, you'd be able to track what is happening and figure out the correct incentives to help the LGSs and get the players what they want at the right price. Well, I love the idea of returning the MPL, um, or I'm sorry, not the MPL, the player rewards, which we've talked about in the past. It just seems like a no-brainer. And I, I'm sort of just bewildered as to why that's not the case at the moment. Like, I don't understand why they don't bother. Um, yeah, there's so much opportunity for them there uh, to do things for the, to, to, you know, to reward the people who are spending a lot of money and encourage people to spend more money, which, I mean, is a little, I don't know, like, I don't love saying that, but it's true and it's what they should be doing. I mean, I think ultimately Prof and, and Vince have their hearts in the right place. They want the community to be able to play the game without major financial barriers. And that is absolutely a necessary uh, front in the tension between players and wizards. I would much rather have people advocating for the players with major soapboxes like his YouTube channel, like both their YouTube channels than to not have them in the marketplace because I think it would be worse. I think that Magic Player social media has allowed Magic players in the last five years to really start to have more of an impact on on policy at Wizards of the Coast because we've seen them pivot on the basis of social outcry on multiple occasions. And all of that, I think, is positive for players overall. Um, but I think that the economics... The economic engine of magic is complex enough that you need to examine these issues from a few different angles to really wrap your head around what will be best for all of us long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it can't be as cut and dry as they clear as as he and many of his adherents want it to be. And it would be nice if it was that simple, but it's not. And what seems like it would be great for you today could actually like ruin magic and, you know, essentially those are the types of decisions that that kill magic it's not printing jace or not reprinting jace or whatever it's fundamentally it's changing their business model to something that's not sustainable and doesn't make them any money and then like that's the type of thing that ruins the the brand you know so i i think that i i get where they're coming from and i know what they want it just all seems so short-sighted and very um i mean if i'm being honest naive the final point i'll make is that in 25 going on 30 years of this game. Nobody has ever made a large-scale fan set and distributed it, even as like a PDF to like print out in paper and cut up and play with. Like if if you just want the optimal magic experience, the the expertise exists in the community to pull something together that is exactly what you need. You can just put the word scalding tarn on a piece of paper and swing it sideways. So, <laughs> it you it, you're gonna you're gonna have trouble convincing me that you need to have bring the price down on a thirteen hundred dollar magic deck when you could just steal the IP and play it in your kitchen for free and no one's ever gonna bother you about it. Yeah, that's true as well. Uh, you know, I think one of my decks has. Um... Rather than having a Reaper King, I didn't have a Reaper King on hand, so I printed out the QR code for the magiccard.info page of Reaper King <laughs> and just put that on a card. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating that everybody should be playing with fake cards at all times. I'm just saying they to act as though we are cornered into making expensive purchases that we might not otherwise be able to afford. I think is just simply false. Yeah. So I, I get where I get what he wants. I just I don't think that it's really grounded in reality. Fair enough. I think we've uh, said enough on that topic, and uh, I guess we'll call that a wrap. Where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and of course, I'm here every week uh, doing this podcast. You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com, including, uh, I think I'm going to be launching an article within the week that's... Uh, Seven tips to help you tighten your MTG finance game in 2020. And I suppose that will probably have some kind of plague era uh, vibe to it. Um, I also like to remind our listeners to check out uh, the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering, I suppose convincing people not to sell out of their collections would be uh, a major helping hand. <laughs> I saw a lot of people calling on social media claiming that people holding a bunch of Magic cards should be running for the hills and dumping them at whatever they can get. Trust me, unless you are desperate for the funds, that is not where you want to be at. Wait, why are people supposed to be dumping all their cards? We were talking about how the market's taking a downturn, right? So they're trying to get ahead of it. Like, if you think your $100 card is going to drop to 20 because of the plague, then sell it at 60 and buy it back at 20 or just sell it at 60 because you need toilet paper. Oh, I mean, that's not going to happen. Like, this is this is weird to shoehorn into the closing, but I don't foresee this being a, well, whatever. That's fine. I'm not an economist. I'm definitely <laughs> not a macroeconomist. I probably shouldn't get too deep into this. Uh, but all right. Bottom but, line: If you need the money, you need the money. If you don't need the money, you should probably just ride, try to ride this out, or at least get another two to four weeks down the road and see where things are at. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, wait. Where's my thing? Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including the, all the best in Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of the MTG Fast Finance Podcast. Really enjoyed our discussion, Travis, and we will see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm -hmm.